TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. The scoop. It's The Scoop with Doogie. And away we go. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful holiday weekend. This is Scoop Podcast episode 200. And 42, likely while you were sleeping, or at least while I was sleeping, after a long Sunday, worked TV over the weekend, then hit a wall on Sunday after I took the boys to the Twins game, then Droogie had a baseball scrimmage. I hit a wall, woke up at about 4 a.m. to go to the bathroom, checked my phone, and I saw two messages. I saw that Jared Culver had signed his contract with the Wolves and got a text from, it looks like, Kevin Bradbury. Tyus Jones' agent reached out to a number of folks, so no reason to confirm, but that Tyus Jones is signing an offer sheet with the Memphis Grizzlies, Apple Valley native, with the Memphis Grizzlies, three years, $28 million. I am told on Monday morning that the way the contract is structured, the Wolves with year one, would not enter the luxury tax. So I'm curious why Memphis didn't structure the contract to really play on Minnesota and tell Minnesota, hey, you can have Tyus, but guess what? You are paying the luxury tax, and Glenn Taylor has laid out on this podcast before that you really only pay the luxury tax when your team is on the cusp, right? If you're Portland, if you're Milwaukee, you're not paying the luxury tax when you're maybe at best the 11th or 12th best team in the Western Conference. But to get more clarity more information on the Tyus Jones Memphis Grizzlies offer sheet. Let's now welcome into the conversation ESPN analyst, ESPN insider, former Nets assistant general manager. He's nice enough to join this podcast often. We always appreciate his contributions. It is Bobby Marks. Bobby, always appreciate your time. Just take fans through, I guess, the key details when talking about Tyus Jones signing this three-year $28 million offer sheet with Memphis. What are the key details that fans need to know right this second? Well, I, I think usually when you when a player signs an offer sheet with another team, um, it, it's to entice, either if it's Minnesota, that not to match here. And based, because Memphis only had um, the $9.2 million or $9.3 million uh, mid-level exception, that's what they signed. Um, that's what they signed Jones to. So it's not like they, you know, came in with a three-year, forty million dollar contract. It's it's a it's a manageable number. Um, you know, Jones will sign if he has not signed the offer sheet, um, and then the then the Timberwolves will have you know two days to uh, to match um, and decide what they want to do here. So it's it's a manageable number, as I said. Um, it does not put the team in the luxury tax. Um, you know, I think you saw with Delon the number that Delon Wright got. Um, with Dallas, it's comparable, um, and I would expect the Timberwolves to match, um, especially with um, you know Jeff T going into the last year of his contract. Um, we really know uh, you know no backup plan uh, there except for you know Shabazz Napier, who you got into a um, you got in a trade as part of that that, that three team trade there. So um, yeah, I don't you know if it was a, if it was a big number, you know three years forty five, then I think he'd be hesitant. But I, I think you know if you don't match it. It doesn't get. It all it does is give you a little bit of financial flexibility, but it doesn't allow you to go out and you know all of a sudden you know re- replace him with uh, in, with cap space. Bobby, when you say two days to match, is that a hard forty-eight hours? I mean, if he signed the contract either Sunday night last night or sometime this morning, is it forty-eight hours from the time that the league gets the contract? It's two days. Uh, I mean, if he signed it last um, last night, then you know, you know they'd have all Monday and uh, all Monday and Tuesday. I believe if he signed it on uh, on Monday, they would have 
um, they would have until um, until Wednesday to, to decide as far as what they wanted to do. And then the way Memphis... So there's, there's some time there. There's some time there, yeah, to, to sure, figure yeah. out what you want to do. And the buzz from the Tyus camp as of this morning is they're not quite sure what Minnesota will do. So, yeah, I mean, Minnesota has all day today and at least some of tomorrow, if not all of tomorrow, to sift through exactly what they want to do. Let me ask you this. On the way Memphis could have structured the contract, was there any way that Memphis could have structured the contract where they really would have made Minnesota think? Because if Minnesota had matched... Year one would have put Minnesota into the luxury tax. There, there really wasn't. I mean, all they had was the the nine three um, mid level exception. So they couldn't find you know that you can you know start at twelve and then kind of work your way up. They were capped as far as what the number they could do. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I haven't seen the offer sheet yet, but you can do it. You could put a trade bonus in there or a trade kicker in there if he's traded. You can maybe put an upfront payment. Um, you know, of, uh, of paying the player as far as advancing his, you know, the player's contract to, um, you know, to maybe have the Timberwolves think twice about it. But it's not like, you know, we saw, we've seen Brooklyn do it a couple years ago where they, you know, they made an auto porter, you know, probably, you know, four year max and it made, you know, it put the Wizards in a tough spot or, Ty- or Tyler Johnson in Miami a couple years ago. But yeah, I mean, this is a pretty straightforward, you know, contract. And I think, I think what Minnesota fans probably need to know is that, it's not that Tyus Jones wants to uh, is not committed to playing in, in Minnesota. It's that restricted free agency is tough. <laughs> I mean, it really is, and you have to go out and you know you you don't have leverage until you have a team out there that's willing to sign you to a, a, an offer sheet here. And um, and he went out and did it, and now it's up to the Timberwolves to figure out what what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, piggybacking on how tough it is. I mean, I think Memphis. Well, I think Memphis had some interest. I mean, I think everything happened pretty fast. In fact, I was texting with somebody close to Tyus on Sunday night before I dozed off, and I said, hey, what about Memphis? Because after I saw the Dallas-Memphis transaction with Wright going to Dallas, because I just thought Memphis would keep Wright, good player. I thought they just would match any offer sheet, but they end up, what, acquiring, was it two second-round picks from Dallas? So they acquire even more assets. They allow DeLon Wright to go to Dallas. So once I saw that happen, I'm like, oh, okay. I wonder if Memphis makes some sense for Tyus. So I texted somebody, and this person got back to me. I saw it overnight saying, this thing happened fast. Like, I saw your text about would Memphis have interest, and I was chuckling because we didn't even have a done deal. And that was like at 10 o'clock last night. Then like 11 o'clock or midnight, everything broke. So it sounds like everything just moved really, really fast. But for a while, Bobby, I thought that Tyus – would ultimately just sign the qualifying offer, then elect unrestricted free agency a year from now. Yeah, I mean that's the other option. I mean if you can sign, um, you know, for Tyus a one-year qualifying offer and then to put him into free agency in 2020, or if, you, if something that comes make that makes sense here, it's you know, you know, three years up, you know, 28, 29 million dollars that gives him guaranteed money. Um, I think players like Kelly Oubre Jr., who's in Phoenix, one of the last of the restricted free agents, will probably go the qualifying route. And then it's summer of 2020 as an unrestricted free agent. So, yeah, I mean, although the team does have leverage, um, the player always has that one-year offer that's sitting there to go out and sign and then kind of bet on themselves for, um, you know, for, for next year. How good of a deal is that, though, for Tyus? I mean, that seems like a win. Not to suggest that he's not maybe worth about $9 million a year, but I'm not even quite sure he headed into free agency thinking he could get $9 million a year. Yeah, I mean, it's right at the mid-level, all right? So, I mean, for for where he is, you know, probably, I mean, we've seen a lot of, the, you know, we saw Tomas Sadaransky get three for 30, I believe. Um, you know, we've seen 
Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the point guard market there. I mean, Corey Joseph got three for thirty-seven, which is a big number. Um, but I like yeah. I like the deal. I like the deal for um, you know if Minnesota matches. I think it's a, it's a hey, you can always move it down the road too um, if you, if you had to. Um, but I like it for both sides. As I said, it's hard when someone you know, you're coming off a rookie contract and someone is willing to pay you twenty eight, twenty nine million dollars of guaranteed money. It's pretty hard to turn that down. All right, I'll let you go after a couple more, Bobby. If Minnesota matches, and you think they will, if they end up matching, is this pretty much it for their off season? I, I think so because that gets you to. Um, I think that gets you to what fourteen players around there. You still have the you have uh, Napier and Trevon Graham. You got in that trade. Um, you have Nasrid on a, on a two way here, um, and you, as I said, now you're kind of pressed against the luxury tax here. So I would think that's kind of kind of where you are unless it's going to be a trade down the road you, know, you saw them last week acquire um you know jake layman in, a, in, a, in that signing trade here um but yeah i mean i think for right now this is kind of who this group is could they work out a trade with memphis let's say i mean i know ryan saunders thinks the world of tyus i think tyus would like to still be here in his hometown but i don't ultimately know if gerson rosas views tyus as a guy that's worth nine million dollars a year over three years so if rosas wants to could he work out a signing trade with Memphis? Not, not if uh, if he signed the offer sheet. Once he signs the offer sheet, that that trade goes out the window, and they could not do a signing trade with, um, you know, a, a signing trade too, because it, it's you know, you, they would have to have a trade exception to acquire him. I don't think Memphis does that. You can't acquire him in with the, the mid level exception. Got it. All right. And when you say they're right up against the luxury tax, I mean, are we talking less than a million dollars if they end up matching? We're, I think it's between like seven fifty and a million. I'm, I'm trying to mm. figure out what, what the first year number is going to be. If it's going to be at that nine three, or if it's maybe a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, they're right. Um, you know, you're, you're right up against that when you add the um, you know the Vonley, the Jordan Bell, uh, the Layman contract too. So um, so yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right up. Uh, you're right. You don't have much wiggle room there. How do you view what Minnesota has done so far? the last couple weeks. I mean, they tried on D'Angelo Russell. They don't get that done. Heck, on draft night, they tried to move up for Darius Garland. They don't get that done, but they get Jarrett Culver, who they allegedly like a ton. They've added some guys that have a chance. I mean, you just laid out some of the guys that they've that they've acquired. You know, how do you how do you view Minnesota's offseason so far? Well, it, it's, you know, whenever you hire a new front office, I always call, say that you know, they're always going to come in and audit, audit the, you know, what they have on the court, and usually you don't make, you know, a lot of big moves or big changes it's you know a lot of this it's all kind of all singles and free agency and although you know i'm sure people would like you to win the press conference you don't you don't need to win the press conference but you got some depth with you know certain bondly had a good year in new york you know we've seen jordan bell in the golden state um you know layman didn't play much in the playoffs but i think had probably one of his, his better years and of course the, you know the prize rookie and um you know, in, in Culver here. So I think it's for Gerson to kind of just figure out what he has. You know, how do these pieces match? Um, what are you going to do with Jeff Teague, who's on an expiring, um, as far as certainly we've, we've talked at length regarding, you know, how does Andrew Wiggins now, you know, fit in here? But, um, but you're deep. I mean, you've got a, you've got a, deep, you've got a deep bench here. Um, you know, Okoji probably comes off the bench now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of just kind of turning around the edges. You would love to get. You would love to have D'Angelo Russell here, but yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe something like you know Russell comes to to fruition, you know, in January or February of, uh, of of next year. But yeah, I think it's all about hitting singles in in free agency right now. 
I'm with you on D'Angelo Russell. I mean, I think that talk will pick up at some point. I mean, maybe it's January, February, maybe it's next summer. But I would not give up on D'Angelo Russell to the Wolves at some point, even if it's two years from now. I'll leave you with this. Can you see any scenario where the Wolves try to acquire Russell Westbrook? Wow, you know what? Those are Minnesota, Detroit um, teams that are not in a position cap-wise maybe each summer to go out and get a marquee free agent. I think those are the teams that you have to look at as far as you have to look at Russell Westbrook, who has four years, $170 million as a prize free agent. And what are what are you willing to give up as far as draft picks here? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you have, and it all depends on what, um, you know, what Oklahoma City is looking for. Is it two or three first-round picks here? So, yeah, I mean, if it if a team is kind of like Minnesota or Detroit is willing to kind of push their chips to the middle here, knowing that Westbrook's under contract for, four, for the next four years, then that's something that you have to, as a group, figure out if that's what you want to do here. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the under the radar teams that are never really in a position to add a free agent in a marquee free agent in the summer, um, those are the teams probably that you need to probably target. Do you think ultimately he does get traded? I mean, it's not like Presti has to trade him. I, I, yeah, I mean, he's under contract for four years. So, but I think you've seen, you saw Jeremy Grant get traded um, this morning to Denver. Um, you saw Paul George over the weekend. I think. Um, I think it's hard to have a player on a Supermax contract when you are basically in a full-scale rebuild here. So I think if there's an offer that makes sense for Sam, yes. I think if it's something that lingers into the season and you kind of just play it out, then certainly yes. Bobby, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So the clock is ticking on whether the Wolves will match on Tyus. Make no mistake, Ryan Saunders thinks the world of Tyus Jones but we don't know what Gerson Rosas thinks of ties when it comes to attaching a value, a monetary value, of $9 million over three years. That's if all incentives are reached, a maximum of $28 million over three years. For Tyus himself, whether it's in Memphis or here, that is one heck of a contract. Had a good year last year, put himself in a position to hit the jackpot. Teams like the Suns, the Bulls, the Kings, even the Lakers filled their point guard needs in other ways. So the market was somewhat limited. I'm telling you, my understanding was that Memphis was going to match on DeLon Wright and Lo and behold, they then say, okay, two second-round picks from Dallas. Let's do the asset acquisition thing again. They make the Andre Iguodala trade, getting a future first. They may end up sending Iguodala to Houston or somewhere else for another future first. So Memphis is all about asset acquisition. They end up with Josh Jackson. So they're all about just acquiring all sorts of assets. So they take the two second-round picks from Dallas, even though... I'm told they really like DeLon, right? But they take the two second-round picks because they also like Tyus Jones. So Memphis is hoping they end up with Tyus. But I do know that Ryan Saunders undoubtedly will fight for the Wolves to match said offer. Interesting news developing late Monday afternoon with the Wolves claiming point guard Tyrone Wallace off waivers from the L.A. Clippers. He has a $300,000 guarantee in September and a full guarantee in January. He's on a minimum contract. He's another one of those guys that's absolutely an NBA player. There are more NBA players than jobs available, but he absolutely can stick as an NBA player. So what does that mean for the future of Tyus Jones? I know the Tyus Jones camp is certainly wondering about that, but as of me recording the back end of this podcast after recording Bobby Marks on Monday morning, the back end at about 4.15 on Monday afternoon, the Tyus Camp still has no inclination one way or another from the Wolves if they will indeed match the offer sheet.
This week not only brings us finality one way or another on Tyus and more summer league action, but it also brings us guarantee dates on Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham's contracts. Both guys on one-year deals, I believe, shoot, I should have this in front of me. Graham is like in the $1.6 to $1.8 million range. Napier is like in the $1.8 million range. Anyway, my note, the reason I bring up those names or at least the name Trevion Graham, is when the trade went through, the three-way that resulted in D'Angelo Russell landing with Golden State, that Graham's salary, so it becomes fully guaranteed on July 10th, but at the time of the transaction, 90% of his salary was guaranteed. Now, if the plan all along was to keep him around, no big deal, but interesting nonetheless that 90% of Graham's salary was guaranteed at the time of the trade. I don't know on Napier. I know the obvious follow-up is, well, what about Napier's contract? Was 90% of his contract guaranteed at the time of the trade? I don't know on him, but I just know on Graham that 90% of his contract was guaranteed at the time of the trade. Speaking of Summer League, no Jarrett Culver. Now, I thought, I'll admit, I thought he would play after signing his contract. That was the big hurdle he signed finally late on Sunday, so he put pen to paper. Jarrett Culver, has signed his Wolves contract, but he will not play in all of Summer League. The Athletic, Shams, the first to report that. Here is the reasoning behind that, the logic that the Wolves are using. And I know it's a disappointment that we won't see Jared Culver play, but here is their reasoning. If you go back to the pre-draft circuit, he had a pro day in Phoenix, an Octagon pro day, shot for scouts. He didn't really travel around, play He didn't participate in the Combine. There was no reason to when you're a presumed top-five pick. Really, the last time he has played five-on-five was at U.S. Bank Stadium, was in the Final Four. So why risk? Even if it's a 1% or 2% chance that he could get hurt because his conditioning isn't there, he hasn't played five-on-five for a while, why risk it at all? So he's completely healthy. This is not a health issue. It's more a conditioning issue and the fact that he hasn't played much five-on-five since mid, actually really, early April. So I understand the Wolves thinking behind the decision. Why roll the dice? Even if it's 1% or 2%, why put him at risk? But I understand that fans are also disappointed. So no Jarek Culver in Vegas. Some other Wolves talking points I jotted down. I was asked if the Wolves ever had interest in Jabari Parker, who's now an Atlanta Hawk. The answer is no. The Wolves never inquired on Jabari Parker. I was asked if the Wolves ever had interest in Avery Bradley, who is now an L.A. Laker. No, the Wolves never had interest in Avery Bradley. They do have interest in now unrestricted free agent Trey Lyles. The Denver Nuggets pulling his qualifying offer, so he goes from restricted to unrestricted, I guess, depending on what happens with Tyus, depending on what the Wolves do. Trey Lyles is a free agent out there that the Wolves definitely have some level of interest in. There are some fans of Trey Lyles at Mayo Clinic Square, on Russell Westbrook. Okay, I know Rosas is going to always, for the most part, go star hunting. That's what Daryl Morey does in Houston. Every time an all-star is available, you see Houston's name attached to said star. I think that will be the case again with the Wolves. Do I foresee Russell Westbrook ending up here in Minnesota? I don't. Here is where it's interesting to me. So if you go back the last two years, the alpha was Jimmy Butler. It wasn't Carl Anthony Towns. Everything that Rosas has done since taking over, openly talking about and in action, has led Carl Anthony Towns to believe, okay, this is now my team. I am now the alpha. So would you bring in Westbrook? A star like D'Angelo Russell makes sense. Maybe a different star makes sense. Would you bring in an alpha like Russell Westbrook and tell Carl Anthony Towns, 
who was involved in the recruitment of D'Angelo Russell. I'm just telling you, everything they've done with Carl Anthony Towns has suggested to Carl Anthony, hey, this is your team now. Would you bring in a guy like a strong personality like Russell Westbrook to then tell Carl Anthony Towns, hey, guess what? You are now playing second fiddle. And on the court, is he a great fit? Heck, would he want to come here? I mean, the buzz, the league buzz is Miami. I don't know if he would be a great fit there, but that's the buzz that he wants to be in Miami, that Miami has interest. Does that make more sense than the Wolves giving up multiple assets to acquire a guy that on the court may not be the best of fits, a guy that is making absurd money right now, but definitely absurd money in a few years, four years remaining on his contract, $170 million total. I just don't know if you would do that after everything in words and in action you've shown and told to Carl Anthony Towns about this being his team now. I just don't know if you would bring in an alpha like Russell Westbrook. Some other notes on this late Monday afternoon. I saw that Lavelle Neal of the Star Tribune was a great usher in my wedding. We always love Lavelle, big teddy bear. My wife in particular thinks he is as good as it gets. He is. He's a big teddy bear. Anyway, Lavelle reported the Twins have talked to the Blue Jays about Ken Giles. They've talked to the Padres about Kirby Yates. I can add, and I think this is out there, they've talked to the Giants about Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith. They've also talked to the Tigers. They have Shane Green in their bullpen. They've talked to the Mets. I don't know about who in particular. Would it be Diaz? Would it be somebody else? I mean, the Twins have made all sorts of trade calls. In fact, TSN out of Canada, the ESPN of Canada, says the Twins have checked in with the Blue Jays not only about Giles, but about starter Marcus Stroman. So the Twins are planting all sorts of trade seeds. I will continue to say that I will be shocked if the Twins don't acquire at least one arm, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up acquiring multiple arms by the July 31st trade deadline. Remember, no more August trades, August waiver trades. There's only just one trade deadline this year. It is July 31st. So all teams are still trying to figure out, like teams like Arizona and the Mets are still trying to figure out, are we in it? Are we not in it? But the Twins are being uber aggressive. They are making all sorts of calls. I'm just saying, when you're that aggressive, when you know what's on the line, you know that you have a chance to have a really special year, I would be shocked. Plus, the Twins have a deep farm system. I would be shocked if the Twins don't end up making a trade. Logical trade candidates include guys like, and Lavelle offered these names, Stephen Gonsalves, other guys that are eligible for the 40-man roster or have to be added to the 40-man roster this winter. Check out that list. Guys like Brent Rooker, because the Twins have some depth corner outfield-wise. Nick Gordon is the obvious trade candidate, right? I mean, the way Luis Arise is swinging, and you have Jorge Polanco locked up long-term. You have Royce Lewis, who was just in the Futures game on Sunday. The Twins are plenty fine up the middle, middle infield. So you have a guy like Nick Gordon who isn't performing all that poorly at AAA. He was a guy they drafted out of high school, so it's not like he's an old guy. Nick Gordon would hold some value in trade talks. So the Twins are very open-minded to moving any number of prospects with the target being, number one, a reliever, number two, starter. They certainly are open to adding a starter, but the number one goal is reliever. I do think Cody Allen eventually finds his way into the Twins' bullpen. He was placed on a temporary inactive list at single-A Fort Myers today. I'm told that has to do with the All-Star break. Remember, he had all sorts of minor league offers after the Angels let him go. I mean, he had many, many options, chose the Twins over many other options. So presumably that was part of the negotiation. He also may be changing teams here pretty quick, whether it's here. The Twins do have a 40-man roster spot open, he'd have to be added to the 40-man, or does he move up to maybe 
AAA Rochester first stretch before joining the Twins. But even though the velocity isn't great, the curveball has been pretty good. That's what at least I'm told. So I just think he gives them an option. No guarantees that he's in the bullpen come late September, early October. But I do think they will give him an audition, a guy that can stick here for a while. So I do foresee in the near future Cody Allen being in the Twins' bullpen. And with today's transaction, that temporary inactive list, I would not read into that whatsoever. I saw Charlie Walters of the Pioneer Press had a note about Jalen Suggs, and it's a done deal. He's absolutely, positively, 100% going to be heading to Gonzaga. Here's what I would say about that. He's taken one official visit. It was to Spokane, Washington, to visit Gonzaga. Does he love Gonzaga? Yes. Would I make them the favorite right now? Yes. Do I think anything is absolutely, positively a done deal? As I sit here and talk, On July 8th in the afternoon, no. I don't think it's 100% a lock that Jalen Suggs is going to Gonzaga. But I think we can sit here and say they are the favorite. He does like the Gophers. Rob Jeter was over in Greece watching Jalen help Team USA, the under-19 Team USA team, coached by Bruce Weber of Kansas State, win a gold medal. I mean, Jalen Suggs has accomplished so much the last few years with Team USA. His future is so, so bright, and I would not be shocked if eventually he does commit to Gonzaga, but to sit here on July 8th and say it's a done deal is awfully, awfully presumptuous. It's just it's jumping the gun a bit too much. Right before he left, by the way, he heard from Blue Bloods, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Kansas. And, heck, he's friends with R.J. Hampton, who decided to go play where? In Australia. I mean, I don't know if Suggs ends up in Australia, but... I think that's an option that's at least being kicked around with the Suggs family. So I'm just telling you, I think it's tough to sit here and say on July 8th, hey, it's a done deal, Jalen Suggs to Gonzaga. But would I make them the favorite right now? Yes, I would make Gonzaga the favorite for Jalen Suggs. He likes the Gophers, but do I see him landing with the University of Minnesota? I do not. All right, let's get to Ben Hankinson. I caught up with Ben Hankinson on Monday afternoon. He helped create the Beauty League. It's year four of the Beauty League. So many NHL players participating at Braemar Arena in Edina. Opening night is Wednesday. I got into the Beauty League with Ben and some other NHL topics. Here's my conversation with Ben Hankinson. Ben, year four, the Beauty League. It just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? Yeah, that that's the plan, and it, it seems to be working every year. We show up, the guys show up, the fans show up, and it does get better every year. All right, so take us through. So Wednesday night is opening night. What time are games? And just take us through the schedule for the fans that want to show up. All right, so the debut this year for the Beauty League is Wednesday, July 10th, coming up 5.30, 6.45, and 8 o'clock games. So three back-to-back games. We have a new charity this year, Jack Links, which will be fun. I think you might see Sasquatch somewhere in the in its fans at some point, um, whether it's a real one or someone coming as an imposter, imposter we'll see. But, uh, yeah, Exciting things ahead, and uh, we're excited to get get going with hockey season right now. Take us through. So Wednesday night is opening night, and then what's the schedule thereafter? Okay, so we start up Wednesday, uh, July 10th, 5.30, 6.45, and 8 p.m. games, and it's all the Wednesdays in July. And then once August kicks in, we go Mondays and Wednesdays. So Wednesdays in July and Mondays and Wednesdays in August. And the championship, I believe, is that uh, I want to say the 17th when we narrow it down to four teams, the semifinals on a Monday night in August. I think it's maybe the 15th. And then the championship might be that 17th right in there. And it's once again at Braemar and Edina? Yep, Braemar and Edina. And so 
what does it cost for fans just later? I mean, I guarantee some fans are like, okay, maybe in years past, wanted to go, maybe didn't get the chance to go, maybe know a little bit about it. But from a fan experience standpoint, what should they expect? Well, they should expect some fun. Casual environment, beat the heat, uh, very family-friendly. It's $10 to get in. Kids shorter than Dustin Bufflin stick, which is about 10 years old or 11 or 12. Uh, I think they're very lenient at the door, but say 10 years old. Otherwise, it's 10 bucks for all three games, and you'll see kids, and you'll see grandma and grandpas and great-grandma and grandpas and parents, and it's a good atmosphere. The guys are, are in you know, off-season mode for the summer so they're they're approachable they're having fun out there you see them try things they probably wouldn't do in the winter league but this is a summer league so they're they get away with a little bit more and it's a pretty fast pace with reps and a scoreboard these guys are competitive they're pro athletes and they're there to not only have some fun but to, to sharpen up their skills when you say they when you say pro athletes how about just some of the headlining names so we have uh every year they they keep coming out the best players in in the nhl even there's all-stars out there like the mcdonald's the Bufflins, the Parisis, James Van Riemsdyk is from out of town. You have Jake Gensel, Brock Nelson, Brock Besser, and the list keeps going. There's a lot of Nick Bukesteads. There's uh, all kinds of NHL players. I'd say, you know, I think this year we have 50 to 60, probably 60 NHLers skating in it. I mean, is that as good as it's been in the four years? I think so. Every year we're around, you know, 50, you know, but this year we have probably commitments from a little bit more from the NHL guys every year. You know, the training gets more year-round. It used to be in the day the guys would, you know, put the skates on the shelf and let them collect some rust. Now, a week after, Stanley Cup winning teams will have guys out there. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy how hardcore these guys train now because, as we all know, it's expensive to go to games in the winter and there's a lot of money on the line and there's young guys taking old guys' jobs. So the old guys have to work harder and the young guys are, you know, working as hard as they ever did since it's 24-7 now for those guys growing up. What's the recruiting process like when you're trying to convince a Zach Parisi or a Jason Zucker, right? Isn't Jason playing again? What's it like? I mean, is it even a recruitment or do you have to say anything to these guys or are they just automatically in? Well, that's kind of the fun part. It's uh, it's kind of disappointing if someone doesn't show up, but we don't want to put pressure on the players because something happens. You have a kid that's sick at home. You got, you know, a wife that's gone through the vigorous schedule of the winter and they want Papa at home. So, um, you know, I think recruiting-wise, they, they, they just come by the numbers. If one comes, they all come. And I think we don't really recruit. There's great charities involved. Uh, we have Shine a Light. We have uh, United Heroes League and the Herb Brooks Foundation. So there's good money that go to those three charities, and we're doing something with American Cancer Society this year as well. So the guys are, a lot of them are a part of that. There's a special needs game that touches the heart of many of the guys. Jake Gartner has family involved with that. So it's uh, it's it's not begging these guys to play. They love to do it. They love, and that's the hard part. We didn't know how it was going to work playing at night, you know, when they train in the morning, and then, you know, the fans are there, and it ended up being a huge smashing success, and it's the fans and the charities is why they come. All right, when it comes to Wilds players, so Parisi, Zucker, I mean, who else? Because a lot of Wild fans will say, okay, I want to see my guys, right? Those are my guys. That's my team. How many Wild guys? So we have, who else? Nico Sturm, who made his debut at the end of last year from Germany. He'll be in this year. Jason Zucker, you said. And we'll have to see. Like, uh, those guys are coming and going. You know, not all of them are from around here. We had Matty Hendricks, who retired, who played in Winnipeg this year. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think those are the core guys. And there'll be a few more kind of funneling in and out. But those are the guys. There'll be some young guys that probably come in that skate, too. But I don't know off the top of my head of any I can name right off. Just Timmy, right? Alex Stalock's one of the goalies. Yeah. Stalock, yeah, obviously Big Al. And he has more fun than anyone out there. He, he hams it up. 
up, and uh, it's tough for goalies. They see 90 shots in these games. So a lot of the times, the goalies aren't the biggest fans of the four-on-four style, but Al Stalock, um, any shot's a good shot. He, he has fun. He's been around forever, and no wonder he's a, a huge hit in the locker room as much as he is on the ice. Were you guys four-on-four right from the get-go? So, I mean, the four-on-four, it's just it's wide open? Yeah, it's four-on-four, so you're not thinking, you know, like it's winter hockey. You're not thinking you play a structure. I mean, go wherever you want, do whatever you want, you know, get caught up ice, defensemen get caught up ice. So it's it's just a little different. So there's no, you know, uh, nothing in your head that says I have to be here or there or anyone's watching me. So it's it's always been four on four. If we go into a shootout and after a shootout or extra uh, ice, we go to even two on two, three on three. We've even tried one on one out there. So it's whatever, whatever happens to be the feel at the time ends up uh, kind of being what happens on the ice. Any collegiate guys playing? Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of top college players, too. We can't talk about them but because uh, it's NCAA you know, rule, but you show up and, and you'll see some of those guys uh, playing as well, some, some of the best ones around. While I have you, I bring up the wild. What's it like from your standpoint, Octagon standpoint, when dealing with Paul Fenton and the rest of the Wild front office? It's uh, it's great. I've dealt with him when he's been in Nashville as assistant GM there forever. So I've I've dealt with Paul for a long time. Always tried to get guys to Nashville as a good organization, and obviously we want to get guys to to Minnesota as a great organization. So I had Prosser there. I had Al Stalock there. Unfortunately, Prosser is gone. There's a little bit of a change in the guard with Paul, and and he's got his work cut out for him. There's uh, you know some cap restrictions they're dealing with. There's some you know unbelievable exciting players when they brought in Prezi and Suter, but they came with a price tag so they're kind of shuffling around to keep under the cap to bring in you know some new guys and to keep what they have they brought in you know a great player this year who's gonna you're gonna bring some spark that Zuccarello he's gonna bring a lot of nastiness to his game hard play and uh dealing with Paul is great but he's you know they're tight they're tight with I'd like to deliver all my guys you know or a lot of them to the wild too but it just doesn't work out that way and there's you know good places tough for Minnesota kids to play at home too and I happen to represent a lot of Minnesota guys so it's not always a perfect fit, but uh, you know I think the Wild has it's you know good days ahead here, but it's it's going to be you know uh, some ups and downs for sure. Go through that list. Just remind the audience of all the Minnesota players that you represent. Well, I, I mentioned a couple of them: the Ryan McDonough's, Dustin Bufflin's, Nick Bukestead, Alex Goligoski, Brock Besser. Brock Nelson, Jake Gensel. So those are some some pretty good Minnesota guys right there from top to bottom. And I, I'm missing a few, but uh, Derek Forbert from up in Duluth. So that's, that's you know, close to from the start to finish. We have guys all over, but probably 20 NHL guys that we're managing. When you bring up Besser, any progress on extension talks with Vancouver? Yeah, we're constantly talking. They have a lot of balls in the air that they're juggling with free agent signings and Group 2 and arbitration, and, and we're talking regularly. have a good relationship with those guys. So we're not, you know, uh, at the point of signing on the dotted line yet, but hopefully we'll get there by the starting training camp. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it helps that... He wants to be there, is that safe to say? And the organization wants him there. Yeah, absolutely. He he loves that environment, loves playing in Vancouver, loves the Canadian, uh, Canadian hockey market. You know, they expect a lot. They're true hockey fans. It's uh, It doesn't get much better except if you win more and get in the playoffs and hopefully fight for that Stanley Cup. And that's where he wants to go. That's where the organization wants to go. And I think everyone recognizes he's a big part of that, so we got to get this right. And they want to spread the money around, and, and we want to, you know, get this thing done too. So we'll, we'll try to make it work. I'll leave you with this. We talked about this time last year over at Braemar, but we were previewing the Beauty League, and you were busy. We had to 
push the interview back as you were finalizing the Patrick Maroon deal with the Blues. And remind me, maybe the Wild were kicking the tires, but hometown guy goes back to the Blues, and then just the way the year unfolded. I mean, how happy are you for your guy Patrick Maroon? Oh, there was a lot of bumps in the road there. He signed a one-year deal with the Blues at the end of the summer, and then in, what, January 1st, they were in dead last. So Patty wasn't having his best year. The Blues weren't having their best year. None of the players were having as good a year as they were at that point the year before. And then everything came together. They had a coaching change, and and uh, no one was moved. The, the GM, Doug Armstrong, stuck with his team and it's it's a magical story especially for Patrick Maroon a hometown guy that took less and he's a big bodied hard nosed physical player that you know can he's very versatile um, and I have talked to the Wild a little bit and that's what I'm talking about I'd love to see him in a Wild sweater but it probably won't happen it's, there's not room you know to make that work but uh, winning a cup there and being able to do it in front of his 10 year old son who who you know ultimately that's why it was tough for him to, to leave for more money in a different place when he's got his 10-year-old kid sitting next to him, and he was going to stay regardless in St. Louis. So um, that's a, just a magical story to see that unfold and, and the way it did, especially with a really bumpy road along the way for him and everybody. Let's go after this. I mean, is the story almost nationally being undersold? I mean, you're right. Think about where they were January 1st, then to see where they got to. I mean... I'm just trying to think if that happened in the NBA or the NFL. I don't even know what the comp would be in the NFL. It would be like maybe a team starting 0-6, maybe getting to 10 victories, 10-6, and 6, get into the playoffs, then run the table, win the Super Bowl. But I just I don't know if that story is right. getting as much pub as maybe it should. Right. In, in St. Louis, you'd, you'd probably disagree because there it's off the charts. It'd be like if Minnesota won the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup or, you know, they haven't won in 50 years in that organization. So it's front story news, you know, every day, all day, at least in the players' eyes, that's for sure. But the, the fans are fabulous down there. It's great to see that team have success. But, yeah, it's it's a, a story that, you know, it's not the biggest market, but sports-wise, that's a pretty strong following in St. Louis, you know, as opposed to, you know, the bigger markets. There are many of them, but they they draw well, and the Cardinals, you know, every one of their teams kicks butt, you know, with the fan support. But you know that story, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. All those players, it's life changing. You know, when you see these guys say, "I'm speechless. I don't know what to say." You're just talking to them now. I have a play, another player on the team, Alexander Steen. He's back in Sweden, and you know, I was just talking to him a couple of days ago, and you know, it's just incredible. His dad played, you know, a thousand plus games with the Winnipeg Jets, and and uh, didn't win. But when Alex, you know, wins and, you know, you go from winning it to, to, you know, otherwise going home with nothing and forgotten about, it's a pretty, you know, dramatic cliff you fall off to win, you know, versus winning it and not winning it. And and that town and forever those guys will be remembered as, uh, as, as rock stars. One of the great guys, former gopher, former NHL forward, now agent with Octagon, represents so many players. Ben Hankinson, opening night of WD League at Braemar Arena, is on Wednesday night. A couple other notes, then we'll wrap up with my conversation today with Lunch McKenzie, longtime Concordia St. Paul baseball coach, Minnesota baseball icon. We'll get to him in just a second. Jorge Polanco for making the all-star game. He will bat, I just saw the lineups, ninth. Jorge Polanco batting ninth tomorrow night. Anyway, he gets a five-figure bonus 
from that contract extension he signed in, when was it? It was during spring training at Fort Myers. So anyway, within his contract, Jorge Polanco earns a five-figure bonus for making the all-star team. Max Kepler, recall, misses out on a $50,000 bonus for not being in Cleveland. It remains ridiculous that Max Kepler is not in Cleveland. The Twins back in action. Speaking of Cleveland, the Twins back in action on Friday. They'll end up seeing some good pitchers. Then they see the Mets' top pitchers, or at least two of the Mets' top pitchers, early next week, but the Twins should have Gibson into Oda Rizzi Saturday into Barrio Sunday. So it should be a fun series with the Twins five and a half games up on the Indians. It should be a fun series. Twins at Indians starting on Friday. All right, let's get to lunch. McKenzie, Mark McKenzie, longtime baseball coach at Concordia St. Paul. He started there, when was it? The 1999-2000 academic year. That was when Concordia St. Paul was transitioning to Division II. He decided recently to retire. He is retired effective August 1st, although he'll still be involved. He'll just no longer be the head baseball coach. He also is handing over the athletic director duties, but great guy. Just a Minnesota baseball legend. He knows everybody. TK is one of his guys. Burt Blylev and go up and down the list. I mean, Mark McKenzie, Lunch McKenzie knows everybody. He also has worked with USA Baseball for over 20 years. Back in the day, coached Mike Trout. He coached Bryce Harper. He coached Manny Machado. He has seen so many players go on to have illustrious MLB careers. In fact, he told me he's leaving later this week for another stint with USA Baseball. So anyway, here is Lunch McKenzie on retiring, on giving up his title of head baseball coach, Concordia St. Paul. Mark Lunch McKenzie, 60, what did he say he is? He's about to turn 67 years old. So he said it's time to hand off the duties to someone else. Here is Mark Lunch McKenzie on retirement. Well, retirement means that I'm not going to be a full-time employee of Concordia University any longer, but I plan on being at Concordia full-time. Um, going to collect my pensions and uh, my Social Security and uh, do some other things, maybe get a little bit more involved with USA, and I'll just see what happens. It's, uh, I've been pretty blessed with the opportunities over the years, so I'm certainly not quitting. In fact, we're excited that we just are interviewing a, a full-time assistant candidate today on campus, and uh, we're excited for fall ball, so we'll be out recruiting Thursday, big showcase up at Minnetonka, so it's just the fact that uh, if I don't have to come in here, I won't. I'm probably not going to attend as many uh, administrative meetings as I have in the past, being uh, working as the AD or, and the baseball coach. But, you know, there's parts of it I kind of look back and go, are you nuts? But um, I think it's time, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what it brings. But, yeah, I'm not leaving Concordia University St. Paul baseball. Lunch, when you say it's the right time, why is it the right time? Well, probably my age. I'm, I'm eligible for it. I'll be 67 in July. Um, and, I mean, I'm, God's been good to me. I'm in good health. So it, it's not anything other than the fact that, you know, it, it, I've been here 20 years, and, I don't know the other opportunities that I might have open for me, but it's just uh, time to step back a little bit. And I had to do this sometime, so it just uh, seemed like the right time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it takes me. How much has your phone blown up since the news came out? I mean, how many people have reached out to you? Well, our SID, Josh Deers, uh, texted me the other day and said, OK, we're going to release this. He said, get ready for your phone to blow up. It was unbelievable for about five days. And uh, three countries Taiwan, Canada, and uh, all over the United States with the USA connections and stuff. But it was humbling. It was a little, some of it was pretty humbling. But uh, Ken Herbeck and Bly Levin and some of the boys reaching out, uh, it, was, it, it was pretty cool. You know, when you're doing it, you, you don't really think about a body of work. And then when Josh puts something down on paper, you go, oh, look, I, I, I guess I didn't know he did all that stuff. But uh, 
you know, I, like I say, I'm still looking. I've never been big into stats. I couldn't tell you how many wins I have in high school or, you know, 20 years prior to high school. I know because Josh and Patrick kept track here. I can see it on paper. But it's just about baseball. I love baseball. I've been very fortunate to be in the game and make a living doing it. And uh, and, and I like it so much now I'm a dummy. I'm quitting. But, uh, you know, it, um, it just felt right. It just felt right. And my... Both my sons' wives are expecting my first grandchildren shortly, so I'm not saying that had a big influence on there, but when they found out about that, that I was sipping down, they said, good, we can drop the kids off at Grandpa's. So it's uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, dude, yeah, but we're looking forward to it. Is it also about the relationships? I mean, just thinking back all the years, all the young men you've helped shape, mold, to see where those young men are now today. It's all corny. You know, it sounds corny when you bring it up, but that that's what it's all about. It's all about... The, you know, we, we've been here 20 years, and I think we've had 20 kids sign professional contracts. Well, that means we must have had 600 to 1,000 that didn't. They're out there. They're lawyers, and they're, you know, real estate guys and doctors and chiropractors, and they, they met their wives here, and they have kids now, and they stay in contact. The great thing is, is 90% of my guys still stay in contact, and I stay in contact with you, um, or with them, I'm sorry, and, you know, through Twitter and Facebook and just phone calls. I mean, and it's been fabulous. Um we tell the kids and tell the parents, if you send your son here, we're going to treat him exactly the same way we treat our own children, and we love them more than anything, but that doesn't mean we're going to let them get away with anything. It'll be structured. We're going to work hard. We expect them to go to school and get a degree, and then we'll, baseball will take care of itself. So it's been fabulous. It's uh, I've had a lot of people help me over the years, you know, TK and, I mean, Jimmy Wiesner giving me a chance with the Twins back in 68 as a bat boy and with the Vikings as a ball boy. So, I mean, I've had so many people help me over the years that uh, if I've helped anybody, it's just payback. And uh, it was well-deserved from my part because I was way ahead of the game, and I hope I gave back a little bit. So no college degree, yet you have the resume you do. I mean, just blow you away? Yeah. Once again, when you sit back and think about it, it I always tell people I don't believe I'm steering my ship. I think I'm going around long for the ride trying not to screw it up. I've had a lot of doors open for me. And I've worked hard. I, I've worked hard at it. I've tried to be a good person. And, you know, I, Jimmy Wiesner, when he hired me as a 16-year-old bat boy, said, you know, Babe Ruth died to kept playing baseball. If you think Lunch McKenzie leaves a job or, or leaves a position, that, that the whole thing's going to fold up. Uh, you're crazy. And, and we've lived by that. I've raised my children like that. I, we talk to our players like that, that confidence is one thing, arrogance and, and, you know, ego is another. And so I want you confident, but, you know, control it because it can – I'm a – I went from the baseball office to the AD office, and now I'm back in the corner desk here in the baseball office. So um, treat people right, because you, 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 once you're up there, you can come back down here pretty quickly. If I told you 20 years ago, and you guys were making the transition to D2, if I told you 20 years ago, hey, you'll have a 20-year career coaching here, what would you have told me? I don't know. If I, I don't know. I mean, I was shocked when they called and asked me if I was interested in the job, because I don't have a degree. Um, so... I guess I never looked that far ahead. Now, sitting back, I probably would have thought you were nuts. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever be able to be a head coach, for sure, possibly an assistant coach because of no college education. But, you know, I had 20, 25 years of construction, taught me some hard work. Along the way, I was coaching Little League in Babe Ruth and had some other opportunities working in the clubhouse. I learned a lot working in that clubhouse, watching people go about their business, you know, the best players in the world in the NFL and MLB and seeing how they treated people. And I tried to model my style if i saw somebody that i thought had a great asset or tr i'd say you know attribute i said i want to 
I'm going to use that. If I saw somebody treat a player poorly, I would, I would never treat a person like that. And uh, it, it got more personal, you know, when, when I had kids because it used to be what I want to play for this guy and then flip it around. Okay, what, what are you doing that would make a person want to play for you? And then I had children and actually lost the child and then had twin boys shortly after. And so it got pretty um, personal with me, and it was, why would this person want to send their son to me? And so I take that very personally, and uh, it, uh, it's worked, and uh, here I am. <laughs> Touched on losing a child. And then it was soon thereafter, right, that your wife finds out twins. How did that stretch of your life just shape the person that you are today? Well, I bet I told that story about a thousand times. I do quite a bit of public speaking, and it's, it's, it, hit home, it hits home with people. Her name was Jackie. She was Reggie Jackson's goddaughter. She was named after him. And, uh, yeah, it was eight and a half months later. Eight months and 28 days later, the boys were born, my twin boys, and my wife was not expecting at the time. So once again, it's, to me, it's a miracle. Um, I'm not steering my ship. I'm going along for the ride, trying not to mess it up, and just doing the best I can. All the best to Mark Lunch McKenzie, one of the good guys in town, Minnesota baseball icon. It should be another fun week of so much. I just I can only imagine how much talk there is going to be this week about Russell Westbrook. Will the Wolves get Russell Westbrook? God bless my Twitter feed. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Scoop Podcast Episode 242. He knows he once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. Anticipation is building. The holidays are just around the corner, and at the Home Depot, we can't wait. With Black Friday savings all through November, you can count down to Christmas early with a Santa Countdown Inflatable Special Buy, only $69.98. Or anticipate when friends and family come to visit with an entrance full of LED lights that will welcome them and the holidays with open arms. Get the holiday magic started early. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.